I'm pulling my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the drive to work. Okay. Today, uh, I'm going to do another topic suggested to me uh, by my audience. So someone asked about me talking about designing for limited. So I thought today I would hit that topic. So one of the challenges of making a magic set is there's a lot of different ways to use it, obviously. There's a lot of formats you can play. Um, but um, while there are a lot of constructed formats, you know, there's standard and modern and legacy and commander and pauper and um, there's tons and tons and tons of different formats, um, of constructed formats. But limited is a format that – so when the, when the game first started, when Magic first started, um, the idea of playing with product in a limited sense was, was, was limited, you know, that it really – um, players did not, um, other than playing sealed a little bit, like the only reason you would play sealed is kind of like you just opened up some stuff and you wanted to play. But there's a, there was a lot less, in the, in the early, early days, there was a lot less um, built into that. Um, there were some formats, the most popular format early on was just list what we call sealed, which is just open up some product and play it. Um, when we, um, the, the, a lot of the playtesters, in fact, I, I, I credit Bill with this, is the playtesters messed around with drafting. Um, and so the R&D was really aware of the fact that you could draft with Magic, um, but it wasn't something that was really pushed early on. But it wasn't until the Pro Tour started that really um, that Wizards and R&D in general tried to kind of start saying, hey, guys, this is fun. You should try it. So the original draft formats were uh, Rochester Draft and Booster Draft. So uh, Rochester Draft, for those that have never done Rochester Draft, Rochester Draft is a format where you open up the booster, you lay out all the cards, and then the first person picks a card. You do that until the eighth person picks. Then the eighth person picks a second card. They, they take the ninth pick, and then it snakes back. So everybody who opens up the pack gets a card except for the very first person. Um, and I guess the very second person gets the land, which is usually irrelevant. Um, but anyway... Uh, that is Rochester, and named after the fact that it was, I believe, invented in Rochester. That's when it got, it got its name. Um, Booster Draft was um, – by the way, I think Rochester Draft was inspired by, like, fantasy pro tour, fantasy sports things where you were drafting a team. Um, Booster Draft got invented more out of just trying to come up with a, an easier, simpler way to do the draft. Um, now, I, I've mentioned this. When we started, we thought that Rochester Draft was, like, going to be the, the popular one and that Booster Draft was going to be like, you know, we, we want to have some variety. And it turned out that Booster Draft ended up being way more popular for a couple reasons. One is it's just faster. It's just easier and faster to do. And the second thing is, you know, it feels so dumb. In Rochester, everybody's watching every move you make. So if you, if you make a wrong pick, it's just there for everybody to see. Plus, there's so much information that the really, really good players enjoyed it, but the average player is like, there's too much. I feel obligated to, to, to know these things, but I'm not capable of doing it, and so I feel bad. Um, so we ended up pushing more booster than um, Rochester. Um, it's also interesting to note that when we started draft, it, was, it took a while to um, pick up steam. Like when we did draft um, for the first, I think, uh, not the very first pro tour, that was the constructed pro tour in New York, but the second pro tour in Los Angeles, we had um, a draft format. And most of the European players, uh, you know, most of the players that weren't from the U.S. Um, were very hesitant to actually do the draft. 
Um, we had pushed it a bit in America, and so they were more, more receptive of it. But it's funny to cut to day two of PTLA-1, the very first Pro Tour to have limited in it. Um, I believe was it, we cut to 64 and 53 Americans and one Japanese. Um, that, that, like, I don't think there were any Europeans in the cut because it's, it, it's something they hadn't prioritized. And they're like, they felt, thought it was very unskill testing at the time. And obviously, it's got on to prove to be maybe one of the most skill testing formats. Okay, so the question is, how do we design for limited? Um, and when I say limited, mostly we design for booster draft. Um, we do keep sealed in mind. But here's the issue with sealed is 10% of um, something like that. The, the, a large percent of, of limited play um, happens at the pre-release. And so most limited play, most sanctioned limited play, sealed play, sorry, not limited, most sanctioned sealed play takes place at, uh, at the pre-release. And so there's not a lot of sealed play outside of the pre-release. Hopefully I have been missing up the word limited and sealed the whole time. Limited means it's a limited format. means you don't bring cards. You open them up there. Sealed means you just get a pack and you open them up. Um, another format, by the way, that I loved, for those that know the history of the Pro Tour, and not that history of the Invitational, was a format called Duplicate Sealed, where it's a sealed format, but everybody gets the exact same card pool, and it's pre-built ahead of time to give the, the people a challenge. And the cool thing about that format is not only are you building a sealed pool, but because you know that everybody has the same sealed pool, there's a lot of challenge of figuring out the, the metagame call. What's the best build within this environment knowing that other people are going to have the same pool as you? Anyway, so most of the time when I talk about uh, uh, designing for limited, mostly I mean draft. It's not completely draft. We do think about sealed a little bit. Um, okay, so... First and foremost, so once again, a lot of what goes on for sealed happens in development. In fact, the vast majority of it goes on development. Um, I'll talk about that a little bit today, but the goal today is designing for, for limited, so um, I'm more talking about the design part. I'll talk a little bit about the development part just because it, it matters, but it's not really my, my area, so I'll talk more about the design part. Okay, the first thing you have to worry about for design I talked about it a lot, but it's so important in today's talk, I'm going to re-explain it. Uh, it's what we call ASFAN. So ASFAN is short for ASFAND. What that means is if you open up a random booster pack, fan out your cards, what percentage of the cards you fanned out in an average pack would have the theme in question? The reason ASFAN is so important is, and this is one of the challenges about designing a trading card game, is we don't control what you see. We don't, you know, every pack is random. So we don't know when you open your very first pack what exactly it is you're going to get. We don't know the cards you're going to get. We make a lot of cards, and they, you, you can get them in any order. Uh, and in one particular card, you might not open for many packs, especially if it's higher rarity. But low, even the lower rarity, even a common, you could open up ten packs and maybe not hit a particular common. That's possible. Um, so the idea – actually, very possible um, – so the idea is, what ASFAN means is, we think in terms of how often you will see a theme by counting up every card that has that theme. So the idea is, let's say, for example, um, I'll pick a theme. We want to make artifacts matter. Okay, well, the first thing I have to figure out is, what percentage of packs have artifacts? Now, actually, artifacts is an interesting case. Um, when you figure out your ASFAN, there's two things you have to figure out. One is, is at straight up ASFAN, how many of these cards will I get? And the second is um, sort of a, 
the by color as fans. What I mean is, if I talk about artifacts, okay, let's say we put so many artifacts in and the as fan is three and a half. If the as fan is three and a half, what that means is if you open up an average pack, you can expect three and a half um, artifact cards. Now, that fraction throws people because obviously you can't have half an, an artifact card. What that means is, on average, that's what you will see. Um, let me just use three for a second. If I say an as fan to three, that means the average pack, you open up, there's three artifacts. As fan of three and a half means if you open up all the packs, they average over the course of it three and a half cards. And we often talk about as fan is how many cards, and it can be fractions. Um, in fact, we get to decimal points. Like sometimes, like, oh, the as fan of this thing is 2.475 or 2.391. You know, we'll, we'll get down to fractions to understand exactly. Usually we have goals. So one of the things is to figure out what your theme is and how important it is to you. Like, what exactly are you trying to do with it? Um, and then that gives you some sense of how much asset you need. Now, here's the other part that comes into it, is when I say asset by color. So artifacts have to be colorless, uh, or mostly. I mean, the default artifacts are colorless. We occasionally make colored artifacts, but that, that is not the norm. The norm is they're, normally they're set about artifacts. Um, usually they, they, they'll mostly be colorless. There's some exceptions. Um, so anybody can put that into their deck. So when I say an as fan of three and a half for artifacts, um, if they're normal colorless artifacts, that's really good. That means everybody will have access to three and a half. Um, that's a lot. Um, now, if I talk about as fan by color, what that means is, let's say we have a um, a graveyard theme, and I want to know how many cards interact with the graveyard. Okay, well, I then have to care about by color, because if the average overall is 2.2, but black is 3.0, what that means is, oh, well, if you're playing black, you can get a lot of access to the graveyard, but other colors have less than that. Um, and so when you're not in a colors thing, you have to think about sort of by color, because it's, it's important sort of what volume you'll get and how often can you play it. Now, there can be what we call flat ad band, which means all the colors have the same ad band, and that's if we do a theme and we cycle it, you know, where we're trying... Um, Usually, multicolor has a flat as band because one of the things we do with multicolor is we balance it. Meaning, if we do a cycle, we'll, we'll do a cycle of ally colors or a cycle of enemy colors or wedge or, or arc or shard. Um, that we'll, we'll do them in a, in a pattern because we want to have color balance. And so, if your theme is tied to color, usually multicolor being the most obvious, you tend to have a flat as band, meaning that every color has the same amount access. Um, gold is also interesting because um, gold messes up even more because when we talk about how many red cards are there, well, a red-green card is considered half a red card. Oh, here's a little caveat, by the way. When I was in high school, I remember our teacher telling us, I uh, gave us a little speech one day, and a little speech was like, you guys, you got to pay attention. This matters because one day you're going to have a job, and it's going to require math. And you might not think it matters, but you're going to need this. And I remember the time, I was pretty sure I was going to be a TV writer at the time. And I'm like, look, as long as I can count my salary and count my pages, I'm good to go. I'm not going to need this. Um, so flash forward many years, and I'm now a game designer. And, oh, boy, there's a lot of math. Just all this AdSense stuff, for example, I'm talking about. of just understanding what representational things are. And that's not, there's all sorts of other things. That, there's lots and lots of math. Maybe one day I'll do the math of, of, of magic. Um, but anyway... There's a lot of math, and I'm, I'm glad I, I paid attention in class because I need the math. So all of you out there that are like, I don't need math, 
screw that. Uh, math, math surprises you in where it comes up. And, and game design, um, it's not a mistake that the game was designed by a mathematician. Uh, there is a lot of math in the game. Uh, trading cards in particular, because of the, of the fact that you are working in different rarities and different skews of how often things come up and different amounts. And Anyway, it, it is definitely something that is you have to be very careful of. Anyway, back, back to the talk. Okay, so the first thing you have to figure out, like I said, is your ascend of your themes. Um, this is my, some of the famous quotes that I said. If your theme is not a common, it's not your theme. Uh, it came out of uh, Champions of Kamigawa. We tried this thing where we had a legendary theme, where all the creatures at, at rare were legendary. There was no mythics at the time. And we made some uncommon legends. But mostly they were just the rare cards. And the problem was you can open up a lot of packs before you figure out the theme. Because, you know, if I open up a pack and I don't have a creature in my rare slot, I might, and I might not get one of the legendary uncommon, I might not get a legendary card. So I didn't even get the theme in my pack. And even when I finally do open one, hey, I opened up a rare and it's a legend. Okay, there's a rare legend. Like, it, it's going to take a pattern before you recognize that's, that's odd that the rare is legendary. We make legendary rares. And we have some sets that are more than others. The fact that all of them are legendary, all the rares are legendary, it's really hard to tell. You have to open up three, four, five creatures before you can get an inkling of, oh, hey, it's weird, all my rare creatures are legendary. Um, so anyway, one of the things when I say your you know, your, your theme's not a common, really what I'm talking about is your Azvan, but it's not as catchy to go, your Azvan must be high enough, or it's not your theme. Um, but now, so once again, it depends upon how your theme is used and where it goes. If it's flat, then if, you know, we could mark it, okay, Usually, I mean, the other question is how many of the cards do you need in your deck? Um, certain themes require you to be more heavily invested than others. If we have a blink, a blink matters theme, artifacts matter, enchantments matter, some tribal thing where a creature type matters. Things in which we want you to go wide, in which, okay, the goal is to fill your deck with as many of these as you can, needs a much higher asban than something where what we call threshold one. But threshold one is a term which means cards that say, I turn on as long as you have one other thing you need. Yeah, I get better as long as you have one vampire, one artifact, one enchantment. Um, and the way we do threshold ones is um, sometimes they're blunt. They just say, I do my thing if as long as you control one whatever. And sometimes it's like it might be an aura that you have to enchant that thing. It might, there's, there's some trickier ways to make threshold ones that are a little, little as obvious as what's going on. Um, uh, and also, then there's a range. Uh, some, there's cards that can function with one to get better with more. There's cards that scale based on how many you have. So you have to figure out what your themes are and how often they have to do. So, so you can figure out. So, and then, once again, there's an issue by color. Because let's say I have a graveyard theme, and it's really high in black and green, but it's low in the other colors. Like, okay, well, if I'm playing a black-green deck, I, I'm, I'm good to go. I have tons of cards. If I'm playing a black or green deck, okay, it's viable, let's say. But that means, okay, so remember there's 10 two-color pairs. So when we do limited now, we always, we keep opening the option up. We want to have a certain number of archetypes for you to be able to draft. And what that means is we want a, a bunch of options. And usually we think about them as in terms of color. It's easy. But now, not all sets does in verbal color. It depends on what you're doing, what your theme is. But as a default, color is a good way to think of it. And usually what we tend to do in the default deck, a uh, default environment, is look at the two-color pairs. 
They're ten two-color pairs. Um, white, blue, blue, black, black, red, red, green, green, white, white, black, blue, red, black, green, red, white, green, blue. Those are the ten two-color pairs. And so one of the things you have to look at is you have to figure out what you're capable of doing, what things can be. Um, so when you're looking at AvFan, let's say, take, go back to my example now, black and green have a lot of cards, and it's, it just dribbles in the other three colors, or maybe not exist in the other three colors. Um, so what it means is black, green can easily, easily do the theme. And black in three other combinations, so black, white, black, blue, and black, red, they can do it because black has enough that it, it can support it. Meanwhile, green and its other three, uh, green, white, green, blue, and green, red, also can do it. But that's only seven colors. You are missing the three interactions that don't overlap. So white, blue, white, and red don't have it. Well, there's three combinations of blue, white, and red. There's blue, white, white, red, and blue, red. Well, those ones have to have a different theme because they have no support to do that. So one of the things when you're planning is you're figuring out what your themes are. Um, now, back in the day, if you go back to, like, um, the time of Invasion and Odyssey, there's a period in which we were all about one really loud theme. And so in those sets we made sure that that theme is loud enough that the different colors can play it. And usually when you have one loud theme, you have to spread it to all the colors. You have to make sure all colors have access. The thing we've moved from since then is um, the idea that themes are, are paint to go on a canvas. It's not that, you know, once upon a time, it's like, it's the red, uh, it's the artifact set. It's all about artifacts, 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 artifacts. And everything had a strong artifact component woven into it. Since then, it's like, okay, we're, we're, we're doing these worlds in which maybe there's a component of artifact, maybe artifacts play into it, but it's not, the whole set's not this, this, this you know, thing, 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 thing. Um, for example, Odyssey was a graveyard set, all about the graveyard, everything's spoke about the graveyard, you know, it was definitely graveyard, graveyard, graveyard. You get something like Invasion, not Invasion, into um, Innistrad, Innistrad has a graveyard component, you could care about the graveyard, there were colors that did care about the graveyard, but it wasn't, for example, Innistrad did the thing where it said, okay, I'm going to have a graveyard component. I'm going to have a tribal component. I'm going to have some, um, some top-down stuff. You know, I'm going to do a bunch of different things. And, okay, if you were drafting certain colors, you know, for example, um, blue had a lot of self-milling. And that combined with blue-black was a zombie deck that really got creatures out of your graveyard because zombies like to come back out of the graveyard where if you put blue with green, green had a bunch of caring about the graveyard. So you would mill yourself and green would reward you for having things, you know, having lurgoify type things or spider spawning or things that cared about what was in the graveyard. And so the idea was blue had tools that would match with black, made one archetype, and match with green, made another. So, okay, so that's the next thing you need to do. Once you understand your themes and how your themes play out, you want to know where your themes lie and what colors to make sure that you're able to build your archetypes. Um, and the reason the archetypes are important is, in drafting, what we want to do is we want to make sure that each person has um, a plan and something they can do, and we want to set. So normally what you want to do for limited is you want to build in some blunt themes and you want to build in some subtle themes. And the idea is our goal when we make, when we make a set is we want the set to be draftable as many times as possible within the confines of how long the set will be out. Um, you know, we want, there are people who in a four-month period will draft 40 times. We want to make sure that there's enough depth that they can draft 40 times. But in the same sense, there are people that are just going to draft a couple times, and we don't want you to, like, have to draft 10 times before you figure out what's going on. 
because the diehard drafters will do that, but the more casual drafters will not. Um, so one of the things we want to make important is we want to make sure that there are themes that, that, that tell you what to do. Also, by the way, sealed is the pre-release. Um, we don't spend tons of time on sealed, but we spend some. And we want to make sure that whatever our themes are, that there's enough loudness of the theme that in limited you can at least have a handhold of something you can do. Um, now, one of the problems that keeps popping up is the difference between sealed and um, draft is you need to push a lot harder in sealed to make sure people have the numbers of things you want. Um, so one of the things we tend to do for sealed is we tend to make sure the themes are there, make sure there's synergy between the themes, but we don't expect somebody to be playing a dedicated deck to one theme in sealed. Um, it would require not enough pe people pay, not enough people play sealed for us to gear the entire design around sealed. Um, and so one of the things we want to make sure is we want to make sure when you play sealed, you sample all the cool things there are to sample, and we want to make sure. Oh, okay. Hold on one second. There's a truck that needs to cut in front of me. We'll put the truck cut in front of me because this would be a bad podcast if I got hit by a truck. So, um, but one of the things we've learned is. The way you design for sealed is very different than draft, and a lot more people are going to draft. So our, our strategy for sealed now is to let people sample what's going on, not to sort of make sure that everything exists in numbers, but which you can play them in sealed. If we did that, it would make us cut down the number of themes we had, and when you were drafting, it'd be super, super loud. So, um, so anyway, we, we do keep sealed in mind, and we do a few things to make sure that sealed can work. It's not that we ignore sealed. But we do do a lot more of our design work and development work to make sure that um, we can do what we need for draft, which is the more play format by, by quite a bit. Okay, so then you figure out your themes and you look at the color combinations. Like I said, the default is you do two color combinations. There are sets in which you care about monocolor combinations. There are sets you care about three color combinations. There are even some sets you care about four and five color combinations. Um, a lot of that, by the way, so one of the things, this is a development thing, one of the things that development is in charge of, and we design works with development so that we can put things in early on so it's our design playtest will work correctly, um, but we work with development to get the mana correct. So one of the big things about how many colors you can play is very contingent on how, many, how, how much access you have to the right mana to fix your colors. And so the idea is, if you want to play anything more than two colors, we need to support that. Uh, an average magic default set will not have the resources for you to play more than two colors. Maybe, maybe you can splash a third in certain ways, certain colors, especially in green, because one in green strength can gain access to other colors. Um, but anyway, the default is you play two colors. Usually the default draft is we make, we make deck archetypes for all ten color, color pairs, and then usually um, we have some strategy that if you want to go monocolor that you can do, just because monocolor barring like a gold set or something. Usually monocolor is something you can do if you want to do. Um, so we're conscious of that. Um, if it's, if the mana allows you to sort of splash a little bit, sometimes instead of worrying about the one color, we put a little more emphasis on the three color. The idea is I'm playing two color and a splash. Um, once again, it also depends. Sometimes, like uh, Dragon's Therakir had an ally theme, so primary we gave you ally, but then instead of the secondary being the enemy color pairs, we made the, um, the shards, the, the three colors, in which having an ally, you can go two different directions with it. Um, but anyway, it, it, uh, it goes on a case-by-case -case basis where we do it, and it has a lot to do with where the colors lie. Um, but when designing, 
a big factor of designing a set with keeping draft in mind is making sure that you're enabling your themes. Now, there's a second problem that design has to worry about. Um, and by the way, anything design has to worry about, development has to worry about, plus many other things that I'll get to in a second. Um, the other big thing when you're doing design is you have to make sure that if I make every card um, for one specific archetype, the following problem happens, which is um, someone opens a pack to go, you know, and they, they, they pick their theme, they figure out what they're doing, and then they open up later packs to go, oh, not for me, not for me, not for me, for me, I'll take it. And if they keep taking the cards for them, and what happens is drafting becomes boring because nobody wants the card for the black-blue archetype except black-blue, and then black-blue keeps getting the same deck. So what we want to do is make sure that the cards, uh, the monocolored cards, which usually is the majority of the set, barring a gold set, um, you want to make sure the monocolored cards service multiple archetypes. And one of the things we actually will do is we will go through and look at colors and say, okay, here's our deck archetypes. What deck can this card go into? And we want to be careful. You don't want very many monocolored cards that can only, only go in one deck archetype. Because once again, no one will take it but that deck archetype, and then it starts warping, you know, okay, it's always about getting this card. Um, what you want to do is, is find synergies that overlap between your themes. So that's another important thing when you're creating your themes. Um, you'll notice sometimes we'll build themes, uh, I guess Return to Ravnica, Gate Crash is a good example, where Return to Ravnica had an Azorius theme and playing the enchantments. But the problem was nobody around Azorius, the colors that connected to it, cared about enchantments, and it made it really hard to play, you know, to make cards for Azorius that other colors wanted to play in other guilds. Uh, and that's really crucial. Um, that you really have to think about, okay, mono blue card, how do different archetypes want this mono blue card? Why do different archetypes want this mono black card, mono red card, mono white card, mono green card? You, know, you have to think about that. Um, so one of the things that means is you also have to make sure you understand the synergy between your mechanics. The reason that's important is if I make a mechanic and put in certain colors, so let's say I have mechanic A and it goes in red and green, and mechanic B that goes in white, black, and blue. Okay, so most deck archetypes, so for example, um, white-blue only has mechanic B, white-blue-black uh, has mechanic B, um, black-red has mechanic A um, and B, um, red-green has only mechanic B, or sorry, mechanic A, um, green-white has a combination of A and B, um, blue-black has just, just B, blue-red um, uh, blue has a combination of each, has A and B, um, black-green has A and B, red-white has A and B, and green-blue has A and B. So if you notice there, six of the combinations um, have, have both A and B. Uh, three of them have just B and one has just A. So the idea is that um, when you combine something, so, like, for example, my example there is I have two mechanics. Now, six of my ten mechanics overlap. That I'm going to have both mechanics exist in, in two different, in six different archetypes. Well, if A and B don't work together, that's going to be a problem because A and B are going to play together a lot. Even though they don't show up in the same colors, even though A and B do not overlap in colors, six out of the ten two-color archetypes have them overlapping. Um, and that's not even going splashing or, you know, three-color or whatever. That's just in a two-color archetype. So what that means is, Another thing you have to do for limited is you have to think of your mechanics and understand how they interact with each other. Um, the other thing we will do is we will put certain uh, mechanics and center them in certain colors so in draft archetypes it pushes in certain directions. 
that's why, for example, you'll notice, like, I'll have a mechanic, and it shows up all the colors, but it just shows up more in common in certain colors. It shows up a higher rarities than other colors. What we're trying to do there is we're adjusting for common. We're trying to push you in certain ways. You know, let's say, for example, the mechanic A is in red and green. Okay, the red-green archetype is probably going to really much revolve around A, because B is not in it at all, so it's revolving around A. Likewise, when you look at uh, the white-blue, the blue-black, and the black-white decks, okay, those decks only have mechanic B. Now, you might have a theme that is not about mechanic B, that makes use of mechanic B, or, or mechanic B is, doesn't contradict the thing. But it's, you know, probably what will happen is one or two of your archetypes will be built around the mechanic, and one or two of them will be about something else which the mechanic can work in, but it's not about that mechanic. Then you have a lot of things where there's overlap, and you have to make sure that whatever your strategy is, that can take that overlap into account. Um, and a lot of this, like, it's the funny thing about a lot of designing for limited is in structure, is in numbers, is in figuring out sort of where to put things. Um, in fact, the biggest thing I would say is when you're designing for limited, your tools are number one, structure, the volume and numbers of things, and number two is synergies, is creating different combinations so they go together to help enable how things will mix. Um, and that's a big, big part of building for uh, limited mind is understanding how the components of your deck will mix and making sure you have enough support. So the next big thing is once you figure out what your themes are, you then have to Make sure you give enough support so that deck has enough pieces to it so you can draft it. And you have to be very careful. If I make a card that is super, super, super good for the white-black archetype and eh, usable for the black-green archetype, black-green's not going to get it all that much because white-black's going to snap it up all the time. So we also have to be careful that even part of it of making cards useful is making sure that they're equally useful to different things. Now, having different values is good. Having a card that's a little bit more valuable to white-black means the more skilled player learns they want to take it to the white-black deck. Um, and there's levels of how obvious it is. Like, there's really obvious where it just tells you um, gold cards, obviously, are super loud. Like, a white-black gold card only goes in a white-black deck or in a three-color plus deck. It doesn't go in anything but a white-black deck. So we just count that as a white-black card. And usually, those themes will be very strong. Um, we've started doing a uh, very common thing for us to do is an uncommon gold cycle of two-color cards that are really loudly telling you the themes in Limited to help people who need the help. And the cards clearly can only go on that deck, and that's why that's a great place to make a loud, a loud card that does that. Okay, so let's get development a little bit. Um, design does a lot to set up the tools that are necessary so development can do the fine work it needs. I would say 80% of what goes on in Limited is the work of development. Um, design is trying to craft things. I mean, design is in charge of synergies and making sure that we pick things that can exist in numbers and trying to roughly hit the numbers correctly. Um, we'll work with a development member on the team, sometimes the development team in general, to get a general sense of where we want the ads band to be. Like a lot of times I'll sit down with Eric. And, um, once we know what our theme is and say to Eric, okay, this particular theme and this card, what ads band do you think we should be aiming for? Especially like in gold sets, he and I will talk about where to aim the ASFAN for. Like Conscious Arc here, we were very particular in what was the ASFAN of Morph, what was the ASFAN of Multicolor. You know, things like that really matter because they had a lot to do with how you build your deck. The reason Morph matters, by the way, so you care about colors where you have different colors and you care about colors because colors has a big impact. How many artifacts you have to colors, how many, um, um, something like Morph when you use colorsmith, 
those things can have a big impact on how people fix their decks. So you're very aware of the as bad. Um, the other big thing that development usually figures out that the development thing that we put in design is the lands, like I said. And there's a lot of uh, the as bad of the lands and the mix of lands and how the lands play with color have a big part of sort of um, helping you understand how to build your deck. Okay. So once development gets their hands on the file, they have to figure out a bunch of things. First off, um, they do what's called quick pointing, which is figuring out how good the cards are. There's like A, B, and C cards. I'm not going to get into the nature. I, I don't know well enough to give you guys the, the down and dirty of it. I can give you the real brief overview. Um, and the idea is an A is a really good card you're always going to want. A B is a card that, you, that sometimes you'll want. And I think a C is something where... Eh, maybe it's the 23rd card in your deck or something, but it's, it's, it's something where you use it out of necessity, not because you want it. That, that when you put a C in your deck, it's because, well, I didn't get enough A and Bs, I guess I got to put a C in my deck. Um, and the idea is they want to make sure there's the right combination, because one of the things they have to do is they have to color balance the power level. Design does not do power level, development does power level. So they have to equally balance the power level of all the colors so that there's grading that goes on to do that, and they also want to figure out the right mix. Um, one of the things that's important is what we call collation, which is the, the order in which cards come together, because um, they're on the sheets, but they're next to each other. That, that's important. Um, having the right weight balance to understand what the proper, like you want, if red is stronger than green, it'll warp the environment. So they try really hard to try to make the colors balance. It's a very, very hard task to do. Um, in any one set, they're going to aim to have them be even, and certain colors might be better based on certain synergies. Um, now, the other thing they have to do is they have to make sure they figure out what the archetypes are. Design takes the first pass of the archetypes. Development will usually fine-tune them. Often in development, multiple archetypes will change um, just because if they change power levels. Sometimes they have to shift colors for color balancing or to, to make certain things work. Um, so development has to worry about the archetyping. They have to worry about... Um, making sure that there's a like a lot of things I was talking about design doing, it has to be stress tested by development. You know, I want to make sure that cards can be played by multiple things. Development has to reinforce that and go through and make sure, and then not only that, they have to set the power level, so they have to make sure that cards are the right power level, because one of the things you want is you want each deck archetype to have its, its share of A's and its share of B's and its share of C's. So, because one of the things you want in a draft is, you want players to have different options each draft. If, if the draft is repetitive, if I open up and I'm doing a thing and I always know exactly what to take and I, 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 there's no ever mixing what's happening. Now, one of the reasons that rares and mythic rares are so important for limited is they do show up. Like, you can have a draft and certain rares and mythic rares will never show up in that draft. And they might show up in another draft. And so they are the high variance cards, like um, – they tend to be a little stronger in the nature of how we do, uh, do things, and they often push you in directions which, well, if I didn't get that rare, I might not be pushed in that direction. So, oh, one of the things we do in design that's reinforced in development is what we call uncommon build-arounds. So the idea is you want to make sure your ASVAN is strong uh, at common. Uh, your, no, actually, your ASVAN is strong overall. It commons a lot of where you support ASVAN. And then what you want to do is you want to make sure that in uncommon, you have some cards that push people in different directions. I talked about the gold cards already. That's one way we do it. Another might just be um, Spider Spawn from Innistrad is a good example where it was a deck archetype. You could do this deck. And that in Uncommon, if you could pick up one, two, maybe three of these that are Uncommon, you know, you really could build around it. But it required somebody early on 
Like, what we want with uh, Build Around the Uncommon is you open it up, you take its first pick, first pack, and you're like, okay, I got it. I'm going to do this thing. Um, so we want both straightforward draft strategies, so the, per- the, the people that need the hand-holding, like, if you're like, I don't know what to do, the cards can clearly tell you what you want to do. And then we want the subtle stuff, the players who drafted, right, for the 20th, 30th, 40th time, to find pockets and nuances and find other things to explore. Um, one of the things we want to make sure is we want to make sure there's lots of different possibilities for what you can draft. So we build in the archetypes, and then we build in the, the, the build around me draft that can send you down other paths. Um, we often make some rare cards that, like, we know if they'll show up and they can do some weird things, um, and, and we know they'll show up in low enough rarity that, like, it'll be a surprise thing. The reason Uncommons is where we build around these is they show up with enough regularity. Like, if I do a draft, not every draft will have every Uncommon, but most of the Uncommons will show up, you know, between the 24 packs in a booster draft, you're mo- most likely to see um, uh, a particular Uncommon. Now, someone might take it before you, um, but it's most likely to show up in the draft. Where a rare, you know, there are 24 rares and mythic rares there. That is just a fraction of how many we have uh, in the set. And so... You know, any one particular rare or mythic rare is not guaranteed. I mean, nothing's guaranteed, but uh, we'll take multiple drafts to show up in. Um, so I'm almost to work here. Uh, the last big point I want to make is that a lot of the detail to drafting comes during development because they use lots of metrics. Like I said, a lot of math. They use a lot of metrics to look at all the different components of how often something's being drafted, where it's being drafted. They'll, they'll chart numbers and colors. And, like, one of the things you do when you draft, uh, especially in development, design doesn't always do this, is you write down what cards you have. And not only what colors you played and what number you played, but maybe what rare mythics you, you, took, you took or of a particular theme, how often you had that theme. Um, you know, like, if we're doing uh, content care, we might say, how many morph cards did you take? How many off-color morph versus on-color morph? And each, what happens is each environment has its own things that, that draft will care about. Um, now, there's other things that design cares about that are draft-related. Um, there's some card flow things. There, there, I mean, there's some basic things that you always care about, but one of the reasons you really care about is help enabling making draft work. Um, but the thing I, I hopefully you'll get today, and like I said, I, I kind of just scratched the surface. I only... This one on the top is like 30 minutes. I'm doing the best I can to explain stuff in 30 minutes. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of moving pieces. Um, and one of the things to remember is that when we're designing magic, we're designing magic for many, many, like draft and limited is just one facet we're drafting for. I'm sorry, we're, we're building for, we're designing for. But there's so many things you have to care about that it's very complex. I mean, I hope walking out of today, you can see all the different moving pieces that you have to care about. And, and I didn't name everything. I, I just named the highlights. I named the larger things you have to care about. There's tons of details. There's card-by-card card things. There's mechanic things. There's all sorts of other things you have to care about. I just started today on the, on the, the broad picture of what you have to do. And that is it's pretty complex. And so I'm hoping, hoping for all you draft fans out there, you'll realize that we spend a lot of time and energy to make sure that your draft experience is the best it can be. Um, and that is just one way to play Magic. A popular way, but still just one way to play. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed my talk. I had a lot of traffic today. Um, but anyway, I'm in my parking spot, so we all know what that means. It means the end of my drive to work. Instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. <laughs>